We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I am Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, Justin Mello, celebrating the fourth consecutive Titans victory, and we'll recap everything here today. Justin, how's it going? I'm doing well. I mean, you said it. Not only is it four straight Titans victories... It's, what, five straight over the Indianapolis Colts? And that now completes the sweep over them, the regular season sweep. As we mentioned, they will not play again this year. And I can say that with – I'm comfortable saying that because Colts ain't making the playoffs. So they will not play again this year. Uh, We'll see them next year. Uh, It feels good, doesn't it? It feels really nice to to polish off this – you know, this rivalry with the Colts with a second consecutive sweep, two sweeps in two years. You look at the rest of the division, Jacksonville losing to the Giants. That puts them at two and five. Texans losing to the Raiders. It puts them at one, four and one. So the Titans now with a commanding lead on the, in the division, four and two record. Colts at three, three and one. Feels like, you know, you look at the standings, it's like, oh, they're only one win back. But they have to overcome a tiebreaker that they cannot beat the Titans in because they've lost head to head twice. So... Titans are in a great position right now. Not in a phenomenal position, you know, but a great position for an 0-2 start to be where they are now. I think it's as good as you could hope for. Obviously, you win four games in a row. Yeah, I mean, it can't be better, right? And I think, reminds you, the NFL season, it's, it's a marathon, right? It's not always a sprint. I think there was a fair amount of, of doom and gloom when they were 0-2. And look, I get it. 0-2, is a, it's a tough place to start, right? And that's been proven historically. You look at the postseason odds of, of, of being 0-2, and it's, it's not good. Right. And then I think there was some people ran with maybe confirmation bias, people who thought the Titans were not going to be a good football team. Let's be honest. That was the majority of the public. That was the majority of analysts outside of Tennessee. Right. This is a bad football team. It's going to take a, a step backwards. Um, they, they ran with that. They were loving that. 0 and two start. Uh, look at me. Look how smart I am. And, and here they are at four and two after rounding off four straight victories. And a great opportunity to extend that win streak, right? We won't get into that too much today. We do have a a preview episode coming later this week, of course, uh, for that Houston Texans game. But you got to feel really good about where you're at. I mean, you said it, four and two, you've got the tiebreaker over the Colts. This feels like you've got, what, a two, three game lead above them, right? Right. It's essentially a two and a half game lead because of the Colts uh, tie. So they can't get a win for that. They don't get a loss for it, but... It doesn't help their winning percentage. Anyway, let's talk about how the Titans got this win, and then we'll cover some of the big storylines coming out of the game, like Ryan Tannehill's ankle injury and how serious it is. We'll get to that in a second. How did the Titans beat the Colts? I think it's pretty summed up by avoiding mistakes and forcing Indy into mistakes because Titans went into this game scoring, what, 11 straight red zone touchdowns, 12 of 13 on the season. They go over two in the red zone in this game. Titans offense kicks four field goals, does not score a touchdown. If you take away the pick six, you know, the Titans still would have won this game 12 to 10. But you add in Andrew Adams' pick six, pushes up the the lead to a 19-10 lead. You hold Indy to zero points in the first half. They get, you know, one 
really nice drive that they put a, they scored a touchdown on is pretty much the only thing their offense did all day. So Titans defense forcing Matt Ryan into mistakes, not getting beat deep. They did a really good job of keeping everything in front of them. You know Matt Ryan's going to want to get the ball out quick. But it comes down to, you know, one team turned the ball over three times and one team turned the ball over once. And that's uh, that's how you win a football game. You avoid turnovers when you have the ball and you force turnovers the numbers say generally you're going to win if that's how you operate on game day. So Titans turn the Colts turnovers into 10 points, actually thir- into 10 points because the uh, the last turnover was with three and a half minutes left. And the Titans able to ice the game in that setting. So Derrick Henry looks like he is back to full form, running for 128 yards on 30 carries, including the game icing runs late in the game. But it gets, that just goes back to avoiding mistakes. Um I think that's how the Titans won this game. Yeah, it feels like they could have won this game just playing defense the entire game and not playing off. <laughs> and it's not that far off from what actually happened, right? Like the, the offense wasn't very effective. Yes, they did get those uh, four field goals, as you mentioned, from Randy Bullock. So obviously they got him into positions to attempt those field goals, and that was was key in this game. But I really feel like they won this game on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to get into some more of that guys like Andrew Adams with a pick six. You've got a great Bud Dupree stat that you tweeted out following the game. Pressure, 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 right? I thought Jeffrey Simmons was terrific. I thought Dinico Autry was excellent. I thought Rashad Weaver got home on occasion. They continue getting good snaps from the likes of Demarcus Walker and Mario Edwards Jr., right, guys? Uh, Kevin Strong, I think, played 15 snaps yesterday uh, ahead of of Naquan Jones that only played one. So they keep getting these contributions uh, from back-end roster players. And I've got an interesting question I want to pose. I don't know if now's the time to pose it. Uh, but in relation to defensive contributions as opposed to offensive contributions. Yeah, what's up? Hit me. I'm going to hit you with it. Obviously playing defense, very different from playing offense. So th- this could be a stupid question, and you could just say, well, that's why, because they're, they're two different sides of the ball. But why do you think this defense has managed to get contributions from these unknown commodities, the Terrence Mitchells, and I can go on and on, the Andrew Adams, all the guys I just said, the Kevin Strongs. Hell, you got half a sack from Sam uh, Okayinu, right, a couple weeks ago. The the Demarcus Walkers, the Mario Edwards Juniors. Again, I can go on and on. Why have they been able to insert some of these guys into the starting lineup with no drop-off, but that's not happening on the offensive side of the ball, right? When you have an injury at left tackle or, or you're shorthanded at receiver, it doesn't quite look the same, right? It, it, it looks bad in all honesty, right? So the defense keeps moving along essentially without any issue almost, uh, but that's not the same on offense. Yeah, I mean, you'll see some of the issues at times when it comes to like winning one-on-one matchups and and just a personal talent level kind of evaluation, on defense, you have like 11 guys that move together and work together as a unit that have different responsibilities. As long as everyone's reading the offensive play the same way and, and adjusting their coverage and reacting the right way and filling their their responsibility, you're not going to see as much of a drop-off. Now, when you get Terrence Mitchell one-on-one down the sideline with somebody like, I don't know, Mac Hollins, who has been making plays all season against every team, by the way, um, and had an amazing catch against Houston this past weekend. But... Um, then you'll start to see the drop-off because they're like, oh, this guy one-on-one matched up. He's not going to cut it as much. Where on offense, when you have receivers out there, those receivers have to win one-on-one matchups. And when you have guys coming in who aren't as talented, it's not going to happen. We have offensive linemen who also have to work as a unit, but but then they have their island plays where they're on one-on-one. The 
left tackles matched up one on one with the team's best other team's best pass rusher, you're going to see a talent drop off in those instances. Whereas on defense, I think it works more. They work more as a unit together, and guys can cover for somebody missing an assignment. Kevin Byard, a great player, can cover for something like that. Jeffrey Simmons, a great player, can get in the backfield, and you never know if somebody blew an assignment downfield because he gets to the quarterback and and pressures him or sacks him or makes him throw it away. So I think that probably is the answer to your question, um, at least in from my read of it. But I think it's it's interesting for you know looking at this this box score because I feel like every Titans game is the same. They get outgained yardage wise. Ryan Tannehill in this one completes 13 passes for 116 yards, and you think looking at the box score, there's no way this team could possibly be winning games the way that they average 4.5 yards per play. That's very low. 5.3 yards per pass. That's pretty low. Uh, I mean, they had more rushing yards and passing yards in the modern NFL. That's just not how you win football games, but that's how the Titans win football games consistently. They did win the time of possession battle in this one. And it felt like it in the first half In the second half, the Colts had a really long drive, a couple of really long drives, but in the first half it was all Tennessee. And that's how they took a 10 zero lead into the half. But want to get into these heroic plays by the defensive guys. Yeah. I think what you said there, I'll, I'll add a quick comment and it sounds cliche, but it really was Tennessee Titans football. And I don't think that's uh, I don't I don't think it's cliche. I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination. Um, they were more physical. They were tougher. Um, if you if you have a chance, if you haven't seen it yet, and I'm talking to you and all our listeners, um, head over to the Titans Instagram and watch the pregame speech. I saw it this morning. I kind of stumbled across it. That was delivered by Kevin Byard and Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, half of it is uh, essentially blurted out because it's it's all swear words. But you can kind of put two and two together. You know what they're saying. Um, it was one of my favorite pregame videos that I've watched lately from the Titans. And I think it really sort of captures the mood they entered this game with. Like Kevin Byard ends his speech early. He says, all right, like, I, I don't want to really talk. I just want to go play these assholes is essentially what he says. And, and Jeffrey Simmons picks it up. And it was Tennessee Titans football. When I think of this game and I think of how they won this game, obviously we talked about the turnovers, the defensive contributions. But when I think of their identity, I think of that last Derrick Henry run where the offensive line just came together and pushed them, whatever, six, seven, eight, nine, ten yards, whatever the hell it was, and moved the pile, picked up the first down. And I said it before it even happened. I was watching the broadcast. I was watching with someone. I said, look how these offensive linemen are about to react. And you saw Dennis Daly throw his hands up, and you saw Aaron Brewer push, I think, the signal for a first down. And you saw Ben Jones get up and kind of scream, like, yeah, flex and scream. I'm like, that's Tennessee Titans football. And that's why they are better than the Indianapolis Colts. And that's why they swept the season series. They are tougher than them. They're more physical than they are. And they beat them every – if they play them next week, they beat them again. Yeah, you mentioned the toughness there. We'll get into some injuries in a bit. But it's crazy to me. I mean, the Colts – I think the Titans have a strong run defense and a weak pass defense, which is not what I thought after weeks one, two, one and two, you know, when the Titans were allowing the most yards per carry in the league, but they stiffened up their defense in the last few games. In this game, it was kind of the opposite. Jonathan Taylor, 10 carries for 58 yards. Now they stacked up the other running backs. Deion Jackson, two carries for three yards. Naheem Hines, four carries for two yards. So horrible averages for Deion Jackson and Naheem Hines. But Jonathan Taylor was ripping off 5.8 yards per carry. 
The Colts pass the ball 44 times. They only give Jonathan Taylor 10 carries. This was not like a game that was out of reach. This wasn't like the first matchup with the Colts where the Titans race out to a multi-score lead. This was a pretty close game for the majority of the contest. And for some reason, that Frank Reich and the Colts elected to continue passing the ball even when the Titans were having trouble stopping Jonathan Taylor and when they the Titans were pressuring Matt Ryan all game long, Bud Dupree came back in this game. He had eight pressures, working mostly against Dennis Kelly at left tackle. He had a sack. Jeffrey Simmons had a sack. Danico Autry had a sack. It was the three-headed monster of the defensive line with each guy coming up with a sack. And, you know, you saw Jeffrey Simmons pushing Quentin Nelson back into the pile on that one play where Simmons definitely grabbed a face mask. We don't have to talk about that. Um, it was not flagged. On that play, Simmons had walked Quentin Nelson into the backfield five yards. And afterwards, he's pointing at him and making a baby rocking motion like, <laughs> I just rocked you like a baby into the backfield uh, against one of the best guards in the league. So that's hilarious to see. But there's God, something to... I do too. There's something to this idea that if you're running the ball and successful running the ball, it doesn't matter what the score is. Keep doing what's successful. The Titans end this game with 35 carries. I think two or three of those were Ryan Tannehill kneel downs um, and only 20 pass attempts, whereas the Colts are at 44 carries to seven, 44 pass attempts to 17 carries and only averaged 5.5 yards per pass attempt. That's crazy. How do you throw the ball 44 times and only finish with 243 yards? Matt Ryan, that's how. Yeah. Uh, to, to build on what you said there a little bit, it, it felt like, I think back to our preview episode, right, where we had the wonderful Stephen Holder on from uh, ESPN, Colts Nation reporter, talking about how he thought the Colts felt like they figured something out the week before where they went no huddle, hurry up offense, threw the ball a ton. And I, I would say Holder was right, right? That's essentially what we saw them try to do. Sort of explains all the dropbacks, explains the lack of, of, of run, running attempts um, for Jonathan Taylor, despite it being a relatively close game uh, for the majority of the way. So it felt like they wanted to continue to build on that strategy. The difference is Titans have a hell of a defensive front. Um, and they probably should have tried relying on Jonathan Taylor a little bit more. With that said, of course, you know, the Titans held Taylor to two yards of carry two, you know, two, three weeks ago. So potentially yeah. also looking to make some in-season adjustments against the Titans. Uh, the Bud Dupree stat you brought up, it makes me so happy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did. I want to add to it a little. Dennis Kelly, who you, who you said was the victim of most of those Bud Dupree uh, plays, gave up seven pressures this week. That's, of course, per, per pro football focus. That's three quarterback hits and four hurries. That is the most among all NFL offensive linemen in week seven. So there wasn't oh a worse performance in pass protection uh, this season than what, or sorry, this week than what Dennis Kelly put on tape Sunday. And how about, you know, I'm a big analytics guy. I'm getting into, I'm trying to, that's a bit of a joke. I'm trying to get into the analytics more and more. I've uh, been using it a lot to write my pieces as of late. Pass, uh, pass win rates, right? Pass, pa pass rush win, sorry, pass rush win rate p w p r w r that is for sure <laughs> you can tell i'm a natural here uh bud dupree this is again espn analytics next gen stats 28 percent on sunday 28 percent that ranked seventh overall uh, among all pass rushers in week seven only trailing rashawn gary yannick and gawkway by the way 50 percent i gotta look up how many snaps he played because i didn't i know he had that he had that second half sack 
where he beat Dennis Daly on an inside move, kind of froze Daly on that one. But outside of that, I don't remember thinking that Yannick Ngakwe played a terrific. Maybe he had two snaps and he won 50% of them. Yeah. Because he won that. I don't know exactly. But uh, Arnold Abita K, a rookie out of Penn State, number three. Justin Houston, number four. Another rookie, number five, interestingly enough, Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. Uh, Jerry Hughes, number six, who the Titans will see on Sunday against Texans. Yeah. Bud Dupree, number seven, 28% pass rush win rate. I thought Bud Dupree was excellent on Sunday. You you summarized it beautifully with that stat, uh, with the pressures that he recorded. And I, don't you just really hope he stays healthy and available? How nice is it to have him on this defensive line? Yeah, I think that, you know, this is the lowest points the defense has allowed this year with only 10 points scored by the Colts. And you see the guys coming back healthy, Imani Hooker and Bud Dupree, that really make a difference. And Bud Dupree's pressure really helping force Matt Ryan into throws and quick passes. He threw 44 times. 43 of those were within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. He only took one downfield shot. And it was barely even downfield. It was like a 22-yard air yard target there. So that is you know, just such an impact when you can come back in the game and get pressure on the quarterback and force him to throw the ball away. And it also forces him into turnovers. And you see Matt Ryan on back-to-back possessions throw interceptions. The one to Andrew Adams was great pressure by the defensive line. Bud Dupree comes unblocked off the left edge. It looked like some kind of miscommunication because Dennis Kelly at left tackle just like went into the right to the line to like help block down instead of blocking out to the left or maybe it's a, supposed to be a designed quick pass throwing over the rusher that comes free on that side i don't know what the colts are doing but they let bud dupree come quickly and matt ryan tries to get the ball out of his hands into the flat on to his left and andrew adams comes down reads it perfectly makes a great break on the ball this is a guy they just signed off the pittsburgh steelers practice squad in week two He was flying around before this pick six. The announcers had called his name like four times already for coming up and making great tackles on Jonathan Taylor catching the ball on the flat and, you know, just being around the ball. And then he makes this great read and break on the ball, picks it off, takes it all the way to the house for six, his first career pick six. And that set the Titans up for success. What a play by this guy that we were like joking about him being on the roster two weeks ago. Like that is crazy. What's crazy to me, and I actually wrote something on Broadway Sports that's going to publish uh, on Monday. Probably by the time you've listened to this, it's probably already been published. Um, But look, this is a guy that came in. I'm going to raise my hand up and admit, I didn't know him when they signed him. I didn't know who he was. But then you you saw 35 career starts under his belt. He had one season where he had four interceptions in a single season. So I'm smart enough to say, even though I didn't know who he was, like, like this guy can play a little bit, right? Like he's been around, he stuck around the league, four interceptions in one year, 35 career starts. Like he can play. Yeah. Um, I thought he played well when he started in, in place of Amani Hooker a few weeks ago, right? I think it was it two, at least one, but maybe two consecutive starts where yeah, Hooker I think sat too. out, but he played well. And then coming into this game, I certainly didn't expect to see him with any regularity you know, with, with Hooker clearing concussion protocol and, and returning to the starting lineup. This is only part of the piece I wrote on Broadway Sports. He played 62 snaps in this game. The Titans only had 64. He played <laughs> 62. Amani Hooker and Kevin Byard, by the way, played all 64. So out of 64 potential snaps, the trio of Amani Hooker, Kevin Byard, and Andrew Adams were on the field for 62 of them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's you want to talk about what adjustments were the Titans going to make coming out of the bye? All of us, myself included, were focused on left tackle, right? That was an obvious spot. This is a chance for them to evaluate Dennis Daly, get an extended look at LaRaven Clark, 
That's the change we all expected. That didn't happen. It doesn't mean they didn't make any adjustments coming out of the bye because this was very clearly a big adjustment, in my opinion. These three safety looks, you had Andrew Adams playing in the nickel on occasion. You had Amani Hooker playing the nickel on occasion. Mike Vrabel's press conference on Monday morning praised Amani Hooker for the versatility. I thought both of them at times were used sort of that Dane Crookshank role that we used to talk about, right, when they rostered him. Uh, that Baltimore playoff game, and at times during the regular season in 2021, I thought Andrew Adams played some of that role on occasion. I thought Amani Hooker played a little bit of it on occasion. I mean, the, how many nickel corners have they started this year, right? You had Ugo Amadi to start the year. Then, you know, he's been a healthy scratch lately. They were kicking Roger McCreary into the slot on occasion. Uh, this is a big adjustment to me coming out of the bye, right? Using Andrew Adams and Amani Hooker in that role. I don't know. I'd love to see the numbers. I haven't seen them. I don't know. Did Roger McCurry play any snaps at the nickel? I mean, maybe with, you know, Terrence Mitchell was on the field, but again, that wasn't with regularity. So this is a really big adjustment in my opinion. Credit the coaching staff, credit the defensive coaching staff, um, because I thought it was an excellent adjustment. It worked to perfection, obviously. I mean, you get a pick six out of it. Yeah, exactly. You get these guys stepping up. Um, Andrew Adams making big plays in their opportunities to play. The very next possession, Matt Ryan throws the ball right into David Long's like stomach. I don't know what he was even looking at on that. That was a horrible interception by Ryan. And then Terrence Mitchell, you know, the Colts have the ball under five minutes to go driving. They're down nine points, so they got to score twice really quickly. So, you know, the game's pretty much out of reach at this point anyway if, if the Titans can just play some defense or bleed some clock. But Matt Ryan... Completes a pass to Michael Pittman, who, honestly, he beat Terrence Mitchell on the route. It was like a deep post kind of in-breaking route thing. And uh, Terrence Mitchell's on his outside hip, comes back to him to make the tackle. And while he's tackling, he swings his arm through. Very clear. It wasn't like an accident, like he just happened to hit the ball. Like he was punching at the ball, knocks the ball out of Pittman's hands. Titans jump on it, recover it. Amani Hooker dives on the ball to, to seal it for Tennessee. It's just crazy to see these two guys that were signed off practice squads in week two in Adams and Mitchell making huge game-winning turnover, game-changing plays for this Titans defense. And the way that the sideline reacted to the Terrence Mitchell play and the way that um, you see them in the locker room. They, the Titans social media posted the post-game locker room with uh, Vrabel giving those guys a shout-out and then and then breaking it down afterwards. And just like the the family feeling, the community that this Titans team is, the, the close-knit relationships they have. It's so cool to see these guys like celebrating a guy like Terrence Mitchell who we're sitting back here saying like, oh, this guy sucks. Oh, what, what are they doing <laughs> playing him? And you see the way that the Titans – other players feel about him that's clearly not it and I don't know it's great to be a fan of a team like that I'm so glad you brought up that sideline moment with Terrence I didn't think you were going to I'll be honest because you know it wasn't making that many rounds on on social media and the broadcast and stuff but I'm so glad you brought that up because I was about to say it because the point I want to make on that is players aren't dumb they're not stupid especially in today's day and age they're really in tune with social media they know what you think they probably search social media more often than you think they do. Right. They're not, they know Terrence Mitchell had a difficult week a couple weeks ago against the Raiders. They know how the fan base reacted to that, right? With why isn't Caleb Farley getting these snaps and Terrence Mitchell stinks and yada, yada. They know how the fan base felt about him. And they know that's a tough moment for a player to go through. Players are human beings. You, you don't realize they are like you and I. They are human beings, believe it or not. They have feelings, and these things, it it can get to them as much as they try to downplay it. Terrence Mitchell had a really rough outing uh, a few weeks ago. The fan base ran him through the ringer. 
that is why they felt as good for Terrence Mitchell as they did. Because they know what it was like. They've been, they, most of them have been in that position before at one point in their career where they're the scapegoat, yada, yada, yada. But that shows you how, hap- how happy they were for him in that moment. I love to see that. I've always called that the peanut punch fumble, by the way, ever since yeah. Charles Tillman. That's right. the peanut punch. Uh, terrific awareness for, for Terrence Mitchell to not give up on the play. As you said, he was being on the route, gave up a reception to Michael Pittman, who, by the way, is a really good wide receiver, in my opinion, a really good player. Uh, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to give him any credit. He plays for the Colts. You're nodding along. I guess so. A really, really <laughs> good player. Credit to Mitchell for coming in, uh, rebounding from that, you know, kind of keeping his head, and he, he locates the football punch. You know, one thing I love about this, well, I'll add to your nodding there of the Titans hating the Colts. I'll add, I'll add some fuel to the fire. Well, the Titans have been the Colts twice. Who are the two Colts players that turn over the ball at the end of the game that kind of screwed them over? Jonathan Taylor a couple weeks ago, and it was Michael Pittman this time. And obviously Matt Ryan's turned it over the entire friggin' season. So all their (laughs) best offensive players that have really cost the Colts uh, in the two games against the Titans. Yeah, I mean, really phenomenal performance by the defense, and uh, the offense did enough. All right, it's time now for the Beef of the Week, presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden, located in East Nashville, the best burgers, best brats, and local brews you can find in the Nashville area. So we're going to get to our Beef of the Week this week as we switch over to the offensive side of the ball a bit here. The Titans try to work Malik Willis into this game, which we all want to see. We're like, hey, maybe a Malik Willis package could be kind of exciting and, you know, surprise the defense, give them something else to prepare for. Why not try it? Malik Willis comes into this game for a couple of snaps where nothing happens. He's just like standing out there at wide receiver. And then he came in for one play for Ryan Tannehill uh, when Ryan Tannehill turned his ankle. And then he's on the field again in the third quarter or no, in the fourth quarter. He's on the field again in the fourth quarter and he's at wide receiver, and he runs his little jet sweep motion. Ryan Tannehill turns around tries to hand it to Malik Willis, who does not get the handoff. He doesn't even put his arms in the right formation to take a hand. If you've ever played football, you've been taught how to take a handoff at age five, right? You put one arm up, one arm open. You have an opening on one side for the quarterback to put the ball in your belly. Malik Willis tried to take this handoff with his hands like he was just trying to like grab the ball. Like It was not... My beef of the week is with the Titans coaching staff for running this play while simultaneously not preparing Malik Willis on how to take a handoff. Because to me, I mean, unless he just had a major brain fart in the moment, it's like that's coaching, right? Like, did they just assume that he would know how to take a handoff? He's a quarterback. He's not a running back. He's not. I mean, I don't know. What what are we doing out here, Titans? My beef of the week sponsored by the pharmacy is that is the same play. But I'll be honest. I don't know who I have beef with because you just, I have beef with the, that sequence in general. Yeah. <laughs> I think my beef is more with Malik Willis on this one in all honesty and not Todd Downing, not the coaching staff. Cause and we'll, we're going to get into this a little bit more as we end this segment here, beef of the week, but you just said it, right? I don't want to say you contradicted yourself, but like, if you, that's how you've been playing football since you were five years old, does the coaching staff have to spend all week preparing Malik Willis on how to take a handoff? Like, so I think it's, it's, I, I don't like the play, but I, I, I kind of blame Malik Willis more on this one than anyone else. Yeah. Maybe it is his fault. Most of all, you know what I'd like to see them use him as is more of like a Taysom Hill role where he lines up in the wildcat and you think he's going to run it, but he could pass it because he has a great arm and maybe he's not the most you know, decisive passer of the football yet. But if you give him an easy read on like an RPO play and let him, you know, threaten the defense with his legs, which could open up an open pass. I don't know. That'd be a cooler way to use him than to just like try to make him a reverse sweep 
wide receiver gadget player because that's I mean this is still hopefully your quarterback of the future at the end of the day if he you know develops and pans out the way you hope you know a, a jet sweep reverse sweep like what, what what are we doing with this I'm, a, I'm about to contradict myself and that's okay I like playing I like to play devil advocate against myself sometimes like <laughs> Again, this was the other adjustment, by the way, coming out of the bye, right? It was Andrew Adams, three safety looks, and then on offense, it was Malik Willis package. It was We're not a con- change at left tackle, which we didn't really cover, but Dennis Daly played this whole game. Anyway, go ahead. Right. Well, I mentioned it earlier when I said it wasn't yeah, the same. But we, yeah, but we didn't mention that we were wrong. <laughs> yeah, we, we were wrong. We were absolutely wrong. Where I'm going to play devil's advocate against myself is I can understand the thought process of why they entered this game with a Malik Willis package, right? You're really banked up at receiver. You got Traylon Burks, Racy McMath, both still on IR. Kyle Phillips ruled out of this game with a, ha- uh, I think it was a hamstring injury he earned on Friday, the dreaded Friday addition to the injury report where you thought it was a shoulder he's coming back from. Well, now he gets a hamstring injury late in the week in practice. You entered this game with four receivers, right? Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook, Akine, um, uh, Cody, Cody Hollister. Hollister, who's essentially a blocking receiver. By the way, he only makes explosive plays though. 27-yard reception in this game. (laughs) Only other reception in the year was also a 20. 100% on the year for explosive plays. You want your analytics? There's your analytics. He led Titans receivers in receiving yards. Now, he didn't lead Titans players, but he led the receiving group (laughs) in receiving yards. Yes, he led the receiver room. You're correct. And then Mason Kinsey is elevated from the practice squad. Four receivers in this game. Two of them, you're like, oh, boy, right? You don't want to see with any regularity. So I can understand why they tried to get a little creative on offense, right? And and, you know, the offensive line has struggled in pass pro. They got, the offense has struggled all year long in every facet of the game, essentially. So you're trying to come up with something. So I, I get where that idea came from. My problem is you're up, I guess, six points. I think it was well, 16-7 no, at that fumble. Yes, yeah, sorry. 16-7. I, my apologies. I looked at that drive. Derrick Henry had 11 yards on two carries. There's only two carries, I understand, but he had picked up six yards on one carry, five yards on the other. You'll take that every day of the week at that moment in the game. The offensive line was starting to show signs of dominant trench play, again, being more physical, resetting the line of scrimmage. On that drive, six yards for Derrick Henry, five yards for Derrick Henry. Just keep turning around and handing it to Derrick Henry. You're winning the line of scrimmage. You're winning the battle. And look, that, that they made that decision before the game that they were going to run that play. That Maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I feel because that's right. the only reason you spend all game setting the Colts up for that, right? That's why you have Malik. I think back to the Giants game week one where they set the, jet, the Titans up uh, for Jets motion sweep all game long. And then they ran it in the fourth quarter and Kadarius Tony got 25 yards, right? He had come in motion all game long. They were setting them up. It's the same thing. The Titans were setting the Colts up. That's why Malik Willis is out wide as often as he was. They, they predetermined that play call before the game started. But Derrick Henry's running the football, turn it around, hand it to Derrick Henry. Yeah, abandon your pregame notions once the game is in full swing and into the fourth quarter and you're winning my nine points and you have the ball. Like, I totally agree. So that was your beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville. Going to get to the big storylines from this game and a couple other thoughts I have. Um, so let's do that now. Austin Hooper is a guy this team has been waiting to get going the whole season. I mean, he had like seven catches in six games or six catches in five games, something like that. I think six catches in five games going into this one. He makes an amazing 
at yards after catch play that keeps the Titans. Basically, it was that point in the game where if the Titans don't convert, this whole thing could flip on its head and the Colts could come down and take a lead. Instead, Austin Hooper makes a catch, makes one man miss, gets upfield, makes it a huge gain on third and 10, I think it was. Cut, caught the ball like one yard downfield on third and 10 and, and picked up the first down and then had another catch late in the game that basically was the game winner, in my opinion, because it allowed the Titans to kick a field goal to go up two scores with less than five minutes left in the game on a play where the ball gets knocked out of his hands as he's catching it, and the coordination, hand-eye coordination, athletic ability, ball skills to find the ball in the air with your eyes and then with your hands and bring it in and keep it off the turf by using like the backside of his other hand Unbelievable play by Austin Hooper. Really stupid challenge by Frank Reich because it was clearly a catch. And then Frank Reich goes on to use all three of his timeouts on that drive, like forcing the Titans into that field goal with under five minutes left. But too much time on the clock to use all your timeouts when you're down two scores now, Frank Reich. But anyway, Austin Hooper finally showed up. I know that the box score doesn't look huge because, you know, it's a Titans game and Ryan Tannehill only completed 13 passes for 132 yards. But 56 of those 132 yards went to Austin Hooper for three on three catches. Huge day for that guy. Shout out to Austin Hooper for finally, you know, showing up this season. Yeah, you know, the Titans, Ryan Tannehill spent a lot of time talking about the, the lack of production with Austin Hooper uh, leading up to this game, if you, if you right. want some of those midday pressers. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, I anticipated a bigger role for, for Chiga Quanquo, and we weren't wrong. Like, I, I want to say he played probably more snaps than he's played all year long. Again, I'd, I'd have to double check that, but he was certainly involved. Uh, you saw him open up a big hole uh, in the blocking game. I think it was in the first quarter, like one of Derrick Henry's first big runs of the day. Uh, Chig executed a terrific block. This is a tight end room by committee, right? More than we thought it was going to be like all three of them, including Jeff Swain. Like I think Jeff Swain led the position group and snaps once again, like all three of these guys are going to continue playing uh, with regularity. Um, but you, that first catch you brought up, uh, where he moved the chains on third and long, Austin Hooper did. I remember when it left Tannehill's hand, and I saw it traveling two yards into the flat uh, where Austin Hooper is. Essentially, it was a bit alone. But I'm like, oh, they checked it down. Like, they're conceding punt here. Like, I, I didn't right. love the decision in the moment when it left Tannehill's hand. Like, this is a punt. And then he, as you said, in mean, the yards after catch, he evades a guy, I think turns the corner. I mean, he's already in the flat, but turns the corner, so to speak, and, and get, wins the edge, I should say, and, and picks up that first down. I mean, it was a terrific play. It was really nice to see him finally contribute. Uh, in, in front of his old quarterback, by the way, right, Matt Ryan in Atlanta. So I'm sure Austin Hooper enjoyed that one. Yeah, I mean, it was really the story of the day to me was all these guys stepping up when the Titans needed a play the most, and that includes the offensive line picking up and carrying Henry for that first down that you mentioned, and then two plays later, Henry rips off a 27-yard run to ice the game. Tannehill kneels it out from there, and then you have the guys on defense that we already talked about. But the other big storyline in this game is the injury to quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Now, Ben Jones was down on the field a couple of times in this game, the toughest son of a bitch on this team. He'll never planet, miss it. Maybe <laughs> he'll never miss more than like one snap. I'm, I refuse to believe he'll ever miss more than one snap at a time. This guy came back in multiple times. Jeffrey Simmons left to get his ankle taped up too. hopefully he won't be too banged up going forward. I think we'll probably see the, on the practice reports this week, Simmons either limited or sitting out just to like rest up the ankle that he's got. But the big injury storyline now is Ryan Tannehill turned his ankle pretty bad on that one play um, where I guess Dylan Radins kind of got walked back into him after the play was already basically the ball was out of his hand and then ugh, just misfortune. And Tannehill came back in the game. This was the first play of the fourth quarter that this happened. 
And after Tannehill came back in the game, he threw a total of two passes and handed it off, I want to say like 12 times to Derrick Henry, maybe not quite that many, but obviously something not right. One of those passes was the incredible throw to Austin Hooper that was also a great throw, by the way. Um, Excellent. But so he didn't look bad on that throw. But the question now is you see him in a walking boot at the postgame press conference. How serious is this injury? Is Tannehill going to miss time? Was this a situation where it was like, let's get, let's keep Tannehill in for this game. He's not going to get, make it much worse. He's got the tape, but he's not going to be as effective, but we know he's going to get us in the right calls. He's going to read the defensive fronts and send Henry the right direction with the football, right? And be our veteran leader out there. He's not going to make a mistake, even though the fumble happened with Malik Willis after that. Um, But that wasn't really necessarily on Tannehill as we discussed already. Or was this a situation where it's like Tannehill's okay? He'll be fine going forward. He's okay. We're going to put a boot on him after the game just to completely stabilize his ankle so that by next Sunday he's ready to play. Or is this going to be a thing where Tannehill misses two to three weeks with a sprained ankle because he can't plant and he can't throw and it swells up after the fact and you don't have the adrenaline of the game to keep you out there on the field? We don't have any answer to this yet, but what do you think we're going to see this week? I don't know what we're going to see. I'll be honest, but the way I'll answer your question is by saying this. I've got two different situations or scenarios that concern me here. Uh, The first is obvious, you know, Ryan Tannehill misses time and uh, you lose a couple games. Maybe you shouldn't lose, right? Like you've got the Houston Texans coming up on Sunday. It's an extremely winnable game. The Titans will be favorites in this one. Um, And if you don't have Ryan Tannehill in that game and you lose it, that's really, really unfortunate, right? Because I think the following week, you're against the Kansas City Chiefs on a short week, by the way, on Thursday night football. You, you, you know, Sunday I, I night like, football. Sunday night football. Sorry, Sunday night football. That, that's actually a, a huge help here. But, yeah. uh, if you, you know, he misses two weeks. You lose both games. Yeah, you're four and four all of a sudden. You're, you're staring down the barrel, right, a little bit. But that's one, you know, scenario that concerns me. The other is that Tannehill starts the game against Houston and you see the same gimpy version of him that we saw at the end of this one where they essentially ran the ball on on every single play with him in the game. Because look, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it here. This offense already isn't very good. This passing attack isn't very good. Um, It can't afford to get worse by rolling out just a, you know, a gimpy version of Ryan Tannehill that's uh, extremely limited. So um, I'm definitely concerned. I'm concerned with both scenarios, whichever one it may be, because I don't know that he's going to be a hundred percent healthy going into this Houston game. Like the thing looked pretty bad. And then the walking boot after praise his toughness as we all should. Mike Rabel did it on Sunday, did it again on Monday. Um, but I am concerned. I, like, I think the best case scenario um, is you get away with either sitting him or barely playing, uh, you know, barely dropping back and just winning this game against Houston on the back of Derrick Henry. Did you see what Josh Jacobs did to the Houston Texans on like, Oh my God, like what can Derrick Henry's capable of doing something similar. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach this. Cause I think maybe you can win that Houston game um, with another quarterback under center. Now, whether that's Malik Willis or Logan Woodside, I don't, I don't know which one it would be. Call me crazy for thinking Woodside even would have a chance, but I, I think he would in all honesty. So uh, to start that is um, if you can win this Houston game, well, keeping Ryan Tannehill, look, the only way to keep him protected is to not play him. Right. Cause he's yeah. not going to, he's not going to have zero passing attempts. If you start And he's him. a tough son of a bitch too, who will stand in the pocket and take hits to deliver passes, even when he's hurt. Right. So and this O-line is going to get him hit. 
right? A yeah. little bit. So I, I'm watching this thing closely, right? I, I throughout the week, and I, I, we have another episode coming up. I guess we release it on Thursdays, where we'll be recapping um, this Texans. Or sorry previewing this Texans game with a phenomenal guest, um, I should add. And we'll get the Wednesday injury report by then. I mean, I, I don't know that the Wednesday will be super telling. I don't know that it'll be super telling up until game day, right? Uh, how right. secret of this staff sometimes is. But I'm definitely concerned, and I, I think you, everyone should be. If I had to guess what's happening, I would I would think, and this is the optimistic view, but I would think the boot is precautionary. They put boots on guys all the time just to stabilize and immobilize the injuries even when they're not super serious because a, a sprained ankle is something that can linger for two to three weeks. And if you get it in a boot right away and immobilize it and start the healing process, you can speed that up a little bit. So I think Tannehill probably sprained his ankle, maybe severely, and he's in a boot to keep it, you know, immobile. And hopefully by Sunday, he'll be feeling good enough to play. Now, the question is, if he doesn't practice all week, how comfortable are you playing him? Well, I think Grant Tannehill is a veteran who knows this offense really well that I would feel completely comfortable playing yeah. him, even if he doesn't practice this week. Absolutely. All right. Anything else from this game? You want to shout out any, any guys who made contributions there that we didn't talk about and then get out of here? No, I think I rounded off every name I wanted to round off. I'll go back to the Always the uh, the unheralded ones, right? The Mario Edwards Juniors and the Andrew Adams and Terrence Mitchells of the world. Um, no, I, I think that pretty much does it. Ending on the Ryan Tannehill injury note. We will be back later this week again to preview the Houston Texans game. That episode will release, I, I believe, on early Thursday morning. Hit your feed super early Thursday morning. So by the time you visit Apple Music, Spotify, and all that, you'll be able to see uh, it available. Excited to get into that one with, again, a terrific guest. Uh, we'll make you wait just to ensure uh, that the guest does come on. This guy I have a lot of respect for. If you're not familiar with him, he does really great work um, covering the Houston Texans. So excited to get into that. Back to our two-episode-a-week format, I guess for the rest of the season, right? Because yeah. we have no more bye weeks. Uh, we have recap episodes, uh, come, uh, obviously, and, and previews. So feels good to be back in that format because it was a bit weird coming off the bye then you know, one game after the bye. Yeah. So back full-fledged ahead, uh, two episodes a week. Yep, and we'll have some scheduling quirks when the Titans play two Thursday night games, right. but we'll figure that out when we get to those weeks. For now, you know when to find us. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. Thanks again to the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. And thanks to Broadway Sports Media. Make sure you're checking out Broadway Sports Media. Justin, as always, I'm going to let you tell the folks a little about the Broadway Insider Pass. Yeah, become a Broadway insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You could use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 cents, or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts. Uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F-Words Pod. Uh, it's coming from Easton. There's a lot of content coming your way if you're a Broadway insider. Become an insider today. You won't regret it. And also remember to check out all the other podcasts and shows Broadway Sports has to offer. All right, that will do it for us today. Again, as Justin said, we'll be back later this week to preview the Texans. So until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.